Amen. Good morning. We're glad you guys are here with us. I know we have some visitors today. We're excited about the baptism. And uh, today we're talking about the temptation of Jesus. Did you know that Jesus was tempted? Um, because we are tempted. And he is our mediator between God and men. He's the one who came to be made like us in every way except without sin so that we can stop trying to, to earn God's love. Amen? That Jesus lived that perfect life for us and he died the death that we deserved for our sins. And he rose from the grave three days later. Next week's Easter. We celebrate that. I'm so glad that we don't only get to celebrate that one day a year. Amen? He's alive and he's alive in us and his spirit dwells in us and we have the ability because of the spirit to say no to temptation, no to sin, and yes to God. And so uh, this morning, you might have come in with um, having given in to some sort of temptation this past week. Maybe you had victory in that. Either way, it is God who is the one that brings us through those things. Either way, it's Jesus who helps us in our time of need. It's the spirit that lives in us that gives us the power to say no. And so whether you failed or whether you succeeded this morning, know that it's God who we can praise because he's the one that works in us. Amen? To him who's able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen and amen. We've come to join the song. We've come to join the song.
join in that song, that never-ending song that cries, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And God, as we are gathered together here this morning, Lord, we think about all those who gather across the world to join in that song, 
to join in the praise of our Heavenly Father in those who, who are uh, persecuted, put to death because of that, God. What a privilege we have to stand here in freedom to do that this morning. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters who don't have that freedom and yet still proclaim you. When they're facing that temptation to, to, to disown you, God, they lean in because of your spirit and your word and your son to say yes, whatever the cost. So God, as we worship you together this morning, continuing in that song through uh, studying your word, through celebrating baptisms, would you be glorified in us, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you can have a seat. Well, good morning, Cross Point. Uh, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is good to be together this morning. As we continue in our uh, chronological journey through Scripture, uh, we, last week we looked at baptism, and so it's fitting for us to celebrate baptisms uh, today. Baptism is going public with your faith in Christ. In the picture and action of baptism, we are, we are preaching the gospel as, we, as a person stands and gives their testimony, whether outside the water or inside the water, they are identifying with the cross. When they are buried under the water, they are identifying with the burial of Jesus Christ. And when they're raised up out of the water, they are identifying with the resurrection of Jesus Christ and identifying with the new life that we've been given in Him. There's a reason that in baptism, a person does not pull themselves up out of the water by themselves. Instead, someone besides themselves is pulling them up. Again, that's a picture of our salvation in Christ, that we didn't pull ourselves up out of the mud and mire of our sin, that we didn't rescue ourselves from the disease of sin. We didn't find ourselves when we were the ones lost. Instead, Jesus has lifted us up, set our feet upon a rock. He has pulled us up out of our sin. He has rescued us. He has found us when we have been lost. Our baptism is not our salvation because baptism is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Ephesians 2 makes it very, very clear that our salvation is not based upon our good works or the things that we do. So the work of baptism doesn't save, but it instead demonstrates this inner change that has and is happening in our lives, that by His Spirit we've been given salvation, forgiveness, and that we are in Christ now. We are a new creation in Christ so when someone is baptized, they're not only taking the step of faith and obedience, but they're witnessing to God's work in their life. So baptisms build up not only their faith, but they build up our faith. They build up the faith of the local church and those in attendance. It reminds us of the mission that Jesus has called us to, to go and make disciples, baptizing and teaching them. It reminds those of you who are Christ followers of the gospel that we continue to confess and believe in that they are confessing and believing in in this moment. And it also is a testimony to those of you who do not know Christ yet, a testimony that God continues to save, and that offer of salvation is continually given to those who want to place their faith in Christ. And so today we want to celebrate with uh, Brad Schrock, who's going to get baptized. So Brad, you want to come on out? This is Brad Schrock and his wife, Kelsey. Okay, yep, like Dave said, I'm Brad Schrock, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself. Um, I've got your typical story of I grew up in a Christian home. Um, I accepted Jesus into my heart uh, at a young age, sometime in the grade school or middle school years. Um, and it was more so 
at that point kind of out of fear of, of wanting to pre prevent going to hell. Um, over my life, I've had times of kind of hot and cold uh, relationships with God. Um, uh, my main view of Christianity uh, throughout the years has been more so just following the rules of what Christians don't do and, and staying out of trouble. Um, and that's kind of been, you know, my religion in a nutshell for the past several years. Um, I've always been blessed with a good family, a good home. Um, I got a good job and I got hobbies that I enjoy. Um, but, but the last year or so, it still doesn't, I still don't feel fulfilled. And I think it's because I, I haven't really been having a, you know, a good relationship with God. It was more so just a, a relationship built out of following the rules instead of seeking him and, and asking him for guidance. Um, I haven't been doing that. And so I had a conversation with Dave about a month ago, and he had kind of talked about our priorities in life and how our first priority is to be a Christ follower. Uh, second for me would be to be a husband. Third, a father. And then fourth is everything else in life. And, and I've had it completely backwards. Um, everything else in life has been my focus. Uh, God and my family have kind of gotten my leftovers. And so uh, I'm excited to kind of revamp how I view life and the priorities that I have in place. Um, I'm excited to continue learning and to, to add prayer into my daily life. Um, and, and I find that the Bible reading plan that we've been doing has been good to keep me disciplined and in the Word. Uh, prior to it, I really wasn't in the Word hardly at all. Um, I've got friends that I meet with that, that keep me accountable with that, and so that's been of value. Um, and, and I hope to be able to do that for others someday in the future um, because I really think that that's critical. Um, we get so busy with everything going in life, and, and God uh, really takes a backseat to everything, especially in my life. And so um, I guess in the future I'm looking forward to helping others. So that's my story. Thank you. Brad, is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? Yes. I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I uh, personally, and I, th I believe it's God's heart, I love to see men being baptized. I love to see men leading their families, whether they have a family already or whether that family is in the future, um, to see men walk with a, a tender heart, a surrender before the Lord is a beautiful, godly thing. And God will redeem that and God is using that in the Schrock family and in other households around here. And so I encourage you, just charge you men to, uh, to repent and believe the good news and trust in Christ and follow him because he's a good God who cares for you. He has a, he's a perfect heavenly father. And so um, just want to encourage you in that. Kids, you can head back to your classes. Thanks for coming out. Like I said, uh, last week we talked about uh, baptism and uh, it led to a lot of conversations this week and probably seven or eight nine different cross-pointers saying, I want to get baptized. 
And so uh, it worked out for Brad to do it this Sunday. And for others of you, you probably had conversations at home about this or maybe just uh, in your prayer life as a follower of Christ. And so I want to encourage you that, uh, that next Sunday, Easter, is a great ideal opportunity for you to get baptized. So is April 23rd, and so is April 30th, and so is May 7th, 14th, 21, 28, and it's on and on and on. We'll even swap out the water because we love you that much, okay? Brad's a clean guy, but I'm just, I'll just, we'll swap it out because we love you. So we're, we love you that much to sacrifice our time to do that. Uh, but seriously, pick a date and let's uh, celebrate and let's witness to God's work in your life. Uh, first impression volunteers, you want, you want to begin passing out the connection card booklets now? That'd be great. Uh, this is an opportunity for you to uh, share uh, updates, requests, prayer requests that you have for us to be praying for, next steps, including baptism. So if that's appropriate for you, mark that box. Um, if you're new with us, fill out that gray section. If you're uh, a regular tender member, let us know you're here as well, and that helps us to be able to shepherd you and encourage you. As you're doing that, I want to invite uh, John Watts, our student pastor, to come up to share some exciting vision about what is happening in Hype this year. All right. Well, good morning. Um, so one of uh, my greatest joys as a pastor is, uh, and kind of the primary uh, role that I have as student pastor, is to uh, prayerfully seek God in the direction of our student ministry as a body. And uh, another one of my joys as a pastor is to see uh, students and their families not only come to Christ and begin to follow Jesus, but, but to begin making disciples who make disciples in the natural ebb and flows of their life. So uh, whether they're in school, whether they play sports, whether they're sitting in the stands watching a sibling play sports, um, making disciples and uh, sharing the gospel and uh, talking about Jesus as they go through life is something that I get the opportunity to, to share uh, with our students. And then finally, uh, another joy that I have as a pastor is equipping the saints for the work of ministry. And so um, I love the opportunity that I get to walk with adults who love students and love their families and have a passion, <clears throat> excuse me, and have a passion to see the love of Christ impact the lives of middle schoolers and high schoolers and their families. So uh, with all of that being said, uh, everything that I have to say this morning is, is out of that uh, posture of joy. And so we are um, excited to announce that in August 2017, we will be splitting up our middle schoolers and our high schoolers. And so the way that that will look is we will ask uh, sixth graders to um, come to Hype. So we will have sixth through eighth grade meeting on Sunday evenings. We don't know exactly what time that will be. And then we will have high schoolers continuing to meet on Wednesday nights. So this will be two different nights for uh, ministry with middle schoolers being on Sunday nights and high schoolers being on Wednesday nights. And, and instead of being 7th through 12th grade, Hype will then uh, allow 6th graders to participate. That will be our minimum age. And so we'll have 6th through 8th on Sunday night and 9th uh, through 12th on Wednesdays. So with that uh, split, there is a tremendous opportunity for you. Um, and that opportunity is for you to partner with Christ and his ministry in Eureka and what he's doing in the lives of students and their families. And so with this, obviously with two different nights, the need for loving adults to participate actively in the ministry is huge. And what that looks like for you is a regular commitment, a weekly commitment 
um, a relational commitment to the lives of students and their families. I had a friend uh, tell me when I got involved with student ministry that I would have the opportunity to build lifelong relationships with students. And that's our hope for any adult that says yes to serving in this ministry. And so um, if you have gray hair, you're welcome. I don't know what it is about uh, ministry to students, but people think that you have to be like 20-something to do it. Uh, that's not true. Uh, we love diversity. We want diversity among our team. And so um, no matter if you're if you're 20-something, if you're 30-something, 40-something, 60-something, 80-something, I don't, I don't care. Um, all we want is for you to love Jesus faithfully and love students and their families faithfully. And so uh, we are excited for this. Uh, this change will uh, start the week of August 20th. That is the same week um, of our Sun Chasers grade change. Uh, we're currently trying to figure out what it's going to look like back there on Sunday mornings. But um, so the week of August 20th, that's August 20th and 23rd, this change is going to be implemented. So um, I ask for you to partner with us in maybe saying yes to this, seeking God, seeing if this is something you want to get involved in. But secondly, um, this is a monster of a, of, a, of a project. This is something really exciting and really difficult, trying to navigate what it's going to look like, the kind of development of it and uh, what we're going to do, what we're going to talk about, um, who's going to serve, where are they going to serve, what are they going to serve. There's just lots of logistics that go into this. And so we ask you to pray uh, for us and with us as we seek God and how he wants to make this thing happen. And most of all, pray for uh, the students. We're really excited how this opens us up to do more ministry with students. It opens us up to kind of contextualize what we do based on age. Uh, as you know, the difference between a 7th grader and a 12th grader is huge. And so splitting them up gets us the opportunity to kind of uh, dig in a little bit deeper into the word, um, get to spend more time with them, hopefully outside of the context of programs, because we know ministry is about relationships and not the programs that we do in this building. So um, that's all I have to say about that. Um, please, please pray with us as we seek God in this. Thank you. John joined our staff in June of last year, and I've loved the, um, the passion and, and love and energy and wisdom he's brought uh, to the ministry, and I love to see not only him and Sarah, but uh, adults investing into hype through the years. Our, our kids, we have a senior and a sophomore, and so our kids have been involved in hype student ministry now for a lot of years, and as parents, not just as pastor, but as parents, I'm grateful for that, that connection and that relationship, so I would encourage you to say yes to the Lord in that opportunity to partner with him and his work in the next generation. If you have a Bible with you on your lap, uh, get to the book of Matthew. We'll be in chapter 4. Today we're in week 6 of our series, The Rescue Begins. Today's the last day to get the adult and student resources, so if you've uh, neglected, get that. If you've missed the opportunity to do that, make sure to get that at Guest Connections afterwards. Also back at Guest Connections, you'll find a, a Bible reading plan that Brad mentioned in his testimony. But today we begin in the book of Mark. So today is a great day to begin if you kind of got sidetracked over the past couple months or if, uh, or if you has, has, have yet to join in, today's a great day to start. And so find that at Guest Connections. Mark is a fast-paced uh, reading of the gospel. And so uh, it'd be a great opportunity for you to say uh, yes to the Lord in his desire to be in his word and to be changed by his word. So I know something about each of us in this room something that each of us experienced this last week and will in the week to come. It's true for both the believer and the unbeliever, the person who's trusting in Jesus and the person who's still trusting in themselves. And it's this, we have all experienced temptation this last week. 
and I know something about your week ahead. You will experience temptation in the week to come. Temptation is a part of the human condition. None of us will escape it in this life. It's not a question of if we will be tempted. It is how and when. This past week, I've been tempted to rely on my own strength instead of the Lord's. I've been tempted to, uh, to doubt instead of have faith. I've been tempted to walk by sight instead of walk by faith. I've been tempted to use careless words that are serving self-seeking motives. I've been tempted toward bitterness. I've been tempted to doubt my calling. I've been tempted to not love others like Jesus has extravagantly loved me. And that's just a handful. Maybe you're like, why are we listening to this guy again? Maybe I need to go to another church. But again, temptation is, is across the board. If you're in full-time ministry, you're not exempt from that. If you're a human, you are under the human condition of temptation. You all faced it this last week. You were tempted to sin in your anger, steal time from your work, cheat on some assignment, disobey your parents, hide some sin instead of walk in the light. You were tempted to turn to a substance to try to deal with that pain. You were tempted to give up hope because of circumstances. Maybe you faced temptation this morning. Your, your spouse or your kids or yourself, you were running late and so you were tempted to bark at your children or at your spouse, but then when you hit that door, you were tempted to hide all that and just say, everything's good. Good morning. That's great. And inside, you were still ticked off. You were tempted maybe for that. To be clear, temptation is in itself is not sin. To be tempted and believe the lie of it, to fall to it, that is to sin. To be tempted and allow it to give birth to sin, whether that sin remains hidden in your heart like bitterness, unforgiveness, hate, or it bleeds outward to some sort of action. Either way, to give birth to sin as a result of temptation, to be enticed by our selfish desires, that is to lead to sin. So none of us are exempt from temptation. None of us will avoid it. It's a good and godly thing then for us to look at the temptation of the Son of God. Last Sunday... Again, we were looking at the baptism of Jesus, the Spirit of God descending on Jesus like a dove, the Father speaking identity over the Son. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, he said. This is the moment of Jesus' public ministry. It's launching. People are coming from all over the region to be baptized by John the Baptist. They're confessing sin. They're repenting. They're preparing for Jesus, the coming Messiah. This is an incredible scene, a mountaintop moment here. Jesus is doing all the right things. He's obeying the Father perfectly, Holy Spirit on him. And then chapter 4 opens up with Jesus in the wilderness, alone, hungry, tired, and being tempted by the devil. And we're like, what, what just happened here? We were just at his baptism. We were just at this mountaintop moment, and now he's in the wilderness? This is life, right? I mean, baptism day. It's mountaintop day. And it should be. Chapter 3 is a mountaintop chapter. But life is not lived in the mountaintops, right? You have some mountaintops and you got some valleys and you got some land in between there. This is why the depth of our faith and our hope in Christ should never be determined by circumstances. 
Because if it is, Scripture tells us that we will be like a boat that just gets tossed back and forth. So when things are great, then life will be great to us. When things are down, then we'll just be tossed back and forth and our life won't be anchored or rooted in Jesus Christ and our identity in Him. So chapter 3 to chapter 4, you've got baptism to wilderness, crowds and now silence and solitude. Spirit like a dove, now spirit leading him into the wilderness. Anointed and now attacked. The voice of the Father, and now you've got this voice of temptation from the evil one. If you read the two chapters back to back, you really see Matthew kind of accentuate the differences between the situations. And in both chapters, though, it's all about our identity in Christ. There's, the, there's this underlying theme in that. Chapter 3, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Chapter 4, we'll see the enemy go to uh, try to attack that identity, undermine it, which again is a picture of what it looks like to really follow Christ. Because in order for us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, in order for us to really flourish and enjoy our relationship with the Lord, in order for us to flee from temptation and repent from the times when we blow it and we fall to temptation, we'll need to know who we are in Christ. We'll need to be anchored to that. Verse 1, chapter 4, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I love when Scripture points out really obvious things. Yes, he was hungry. This is not just junior varsity demon tempting Jesus here. This is the devil himself. The devil, since Genesis 3, has been attempting to stop or ruin God's plan. His goal is to lead the Savior here who was born of a virgin, who was not infected then by the disease of sin. His goal is to get the Messiah to sin, to fall. He wants the spotless Savior to get a spot, to get a blemish. Because if so, then he's no longer a Savior. His death on a cross is, is no longer satisfactory then to deal or to turn away God's wrath, to atone for or cover our sin. The devil wants to disqualify the Savior of the world because if so, then there is no hope. There is no hope if a sinless Savior sins. There's no rescue. The promise that God made in Genesis that one day the Messiah would step on the serpent's head doesn't happen the serpent then steps on the Messiah's head. Evil, injustice, wickedness, they will have won. The Old Testament continually pointed forward to a sinless Messiah to come. For instance, Isaiah 53.5, a chapter we talk about on Good Friday when we talk about the cross, but Isaiah 53.5 says this, But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Well, if Jesus sins, then his wounds don't bring healing. They don't lead to forgiveness. If Matthew th in Matthew 3.15, Jesus said that his baptism was to fulfill all righteousness. In the same way, in, that, in this moment, his victory over temptation, his ability to flee from it, reject it, fulfills all righteousness as well. It reveals that He is the Son of God and that He is an acceptable and worthy sacrifice for our sin. Jesus is fully God, fully man. In this time, He is resisting, though, as a man. 
identifying with us, demonstrating his holiness and his sinlessness. He will resist temptation as a human man and in doing so, lay before us an example of how we are to do it in our day with the tools that are before us. In the temptation of Jesus, one thing you see here is how the story echoes back to the Old Testament. The Israelites wandered around for 40 years in the wilderness. The Lord, in that moment, was testing them, not tempting them. He was testing them. It says this in Deuteronomy 8, 2 and 3. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And yet the Israelites, we know this, they were rebellious and sinned in the wilderness. Their hearts were exposed. They were put to the test and their hearts were exposed. The idolatry was exposed. The reality that they lived completely trusting in themselves rather than the Lord was exposed. And so the Israelites disobeyed. But Jesus... He will obey and resist temptation in the wilderness. He will keep the commands of God perfectly. The Israelites were this continual picture of human failing. We identify with the Israelites when we read our Old Testament. They are a continual picture of a sinful people needing a sinless Savior. As one commentary said this, related to this 40-day fast and the temptation that Jesus will encounter and yet not sin. One commentary said this, this time in the wilderness wasn't self-denial just for the sake of self-denial or worse yet, for the sake of building spiritual pride. This was a period of forced dependence upon God the Father. And we as Christ followers, if you find yourself in a test right now, God is, has you in the wilderness so that you would have a forced dependence upon the Father. He's trying to expose your self-reliance so that you would completely depend upon the Lord and His grace and His love and His provision. So verses 3 and 4, the first temptation comes. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Notice the tactic the enemy uses here. If you are the son of God. This question is attacking his identity, an identity that the father just spoke over him in chapter 3. This is my son, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. If you are the son of God. If we, met, if we misplace our identity in anything or anyone other than Christ himself, we will notoriously fall to temptation. Now, I've been hungry before. I've been hangry before. You know that. I've been, maybe you know that. Maybe I preached that way some Sundays. Um, but I've been hungry to the point where then I get angry. My family would know this on road trips. But I've been, never been tempted to turn stones into bread. So we might look at this temptation and think to ourselves, this sounds silly. I mean, I, I can't uh, relate to this temptation. I mean, so Jesus resisted the temptation to turn stones into bread. So what? He can't empathize with what I'm experiencing. Well, let me ask us a question. Have you ever been tempted to find your satisfaction in something other than God himself? 
Have you ever been tempted to gratify or satisfy your desires apart from or outside of God's ways as shown to us in God's word? Sure you have, and so have I. For instance, we have been tempted to find sexual satisfaction outside of the context of a covenant marital relationship between a husband and a wife. We've been tempted to satisfy our cravings for power by domineering over others and trying to control others. We are tempted to try to find our satisfaction for vengeance by holding bitterness and unforgiveness inwardly toward other people, thinking that's going to somehow help when it's eating you alive. We are tempted to find satisfaction in the comfort of this world rather than the comfort of knowing a Savior who knows you. You and I are continually tempted to gratify or satisfy our desires apart from God's ways. And it's especially true in the wilderness, right? Where we are tempted to try to find this escape, this satisfaction in the loneliness, in, in lesser things. It's when the pain of life is high that we try to turn to a substance or escape. It's when relationships are broken that then we begin to point the finger and shift the blame and say, well, if, if you would change, then this relationship would be restored. It's when we are lonely in the wilderness that we actually, ironically, we move further toward isolation. We feel lonely, and so instead of running to biblical community, we run further and further away from it and isolate ourselves. Jesus is tired. He has not eaten for 40 days, and the devil tempts him to turn stones into bread. It's just bread. What's the big deal? But the bread would illustrate that the son is trying to find his satisfaction apart from the father in his relationship with him. That the son here is going to be catering to himself, that he's putting earthly needs before the father. He'd be saying, I need to satisfy my hunger rather than wait on the Lord, rather than try to find my ultimate satisfaction in the Lord. If the Lord would put himself first here, if that would have been his posture, whether in this moment or in his earthly ministry, listen, then the cross never happens if he puts himself first. There is no good Friday, and as a result, there is no good news if the Savior says, you know what, I'm going I'm to put myself first. I'm going to put my needs before others. The cross most certainly doesn't happen. Every time the enemy tempts, the Lord is responding with quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. And in doing so, this story again points back to the Israelites who had the word as well, but they did not turn to the word. Instead, they uh, fell to temptation. And here Jesus is modeling for us what it looks like to flee from and reject temptation and instead believe the word of God. So reject and then believe. And believe that our life is found, that true life, abundant, joyful restful life is found in aligning ourselves with the Word of God and trusting in God's ways and not our own. In responding to the temptation, Jesus is not using an elaborate, supernatural, avenger-type superpower. We need to be reminded of this. All He's using is the Word of God, which we hold on our laps, which we have sitting on a shelf at home, which we have on our phone in probably five different applications. He's believing the word and rejecting 
the lie. He's trusting in the word and then rejecting the temptation. Jesus is not reasoning with the devil. He's not dialoguing with the devil here. Well, here's justifying this. No, he's just rejecting it. Temptation comes, reject. And rejecting it with the living and active word of God. He's using a weapon that we can use in the wilderness. A weapon when we are alone. A weapon that reminds us of our identity in Christ. A weapon that we can use alongside others to defeat tempt, uh, temptation. The next temptation comes in verses 5 through 7. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. If you are the Son of God, again, an attack on his identity. So this pinnacle of the temple, depending on what you read, it's uh, uh, 200 to 300 feet up in the air. But either way, 20 to 30 stories would be the spectacular sign of his ability as God's Son. It's not like Jesus is opposed to miraculous signs either. At the baptism, you see this miracle, dove descending upon him. We'll see plenty of miracles as we look at the Gospels in the coming weeks. Obviously, at the resurrection, we see a miracle. Oh, death, yeah, I beat that. None of you have ever beat that? Yeah, I beat that. Buried in a tomb, guarded by Roman soldiers? No, I beat that. I got out of a tomb. Oh, what about the ascension? There goes the Son of God. I mean, that, that's a miracle, right? So this jump would have led to this instant following of some people. He's not necessarily opposed to miracles, so, so why reject this? I mean, this is instant credibility, that you're not just a good teacher or a good man. So why reject? Because jumping from the pinnacle of the temple to demonstrate that he was the Son of God wasn't God's sovereign plan. That plan wasn't the plan to seek and save the lost. God's plan included suffering. God's plan included the cross. And this miraculous event of jumping 20 to 30 stories and having angels catch him would not have included suffering. The enemy here is quoting Psalm 91. The enemy knows the word as well. But he's taking it out of context, twisting it to try to manip manipulate its meaning and its intent. And the enemy continues to tempt in our day that we would take verses out of context and twist them in order to justify our lives or justify our means. If our lives are compared to a ship in an ocean, just a few degrees off, we think, what's the big deal? But you go across the Atlantic or you go across the Pacific and you're landing in an entirely different place than, than you set out to land in. In Genesis 3, verse 1, the serpent whispered to, the Eve, did, whispered to Eve, did God really say? Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? See, the enemy loves to see people rip the word out of its context and get us to, th get us to think, get us to say, did, did God really say? Jesus tells us in John 8 that the native language of the devil is lies, that he's the father of them. And so when pre presented with something that appears to be biblical, we need to test that against the whole counsel, Genesis to Revelation, the whole counsel of the word of God. To not just assume that, but examine it and test it. 
if you're the son of God, the, the, the devil says, throw yourself down from this place. And again, you and I have never been tempted to jump off a, a building 20, 30 stories up in the air. I mean, some of you are parents and you have this child that kind of walks along the edge of cliffs just to kind of antagonize you as parents, maybe. Maybe you have that. As a kid, that was me. I love to get my, my mom worried and riled up. So you can see some of my heart that still God is redeeming and sanctifying, all right, because that still kind of lingers in me. But I love to see her get fired up when I'd walk along a cliff like, I'll be fine. Uh, that, that nervousness, there was some joy in that I found. I don't know. Pray for me. So, so none of us have been tempted to test our springs off a skyscraper. But we have been tempted to doubt God's promises. Because that is at the core of this temptation here. The devil wanting the Son of God to doubt the Father's love for him. And we know that because of how Jesus answers the devil. Jesus answered with, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And what he's saying is you should not test the character of God. In chapter 3, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Chapter 4, the devil's saying, so you think the Father loves you? You think the Father cares for you? Well, jump off this temple and let's see how this goes down. Let's see if he really loves you. And in doing so, Jesus is saying he's testing the character of God. He's doubting the promise and the word that the Father spoke over him as a son at his baptism. He's saying, in a sense, so, so you think I'm the beloved son? Okay, then prove it. That's what the devil is, is tempting him to do. So when we doubt God's character and nature, and then in doubt, in that doubt, we are demanding him to do something to prove that love for us, then we're testing the character of God. And so the devil is the father of lies. We are a sinful people. We are prone to lying. But then Numbers 23, 19 tells us that God is not a man that he should lie. See, God is true and faithful and trustworthy and just, present, merciful. God is grace. God is alive. And we are warned here against demanding something spectacular from God in order to prove his love and concern for us. Because listen, he's already demonstrated for us the most spectacular thing in human history that could show his love for us. It's Good Friday. It's the cross, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Nothing in all of human history is more spectacular than that. Nothing in all of history is a greater demonstration of love than the perfect, sinless Son of God dying on the behalf of us who are sinners. The final temptation starting in verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall not worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So this is a visionary experience. The, the devil's casting this sinful, wicked vision to Christ. And we see the motives of the enemy on display. He wants to be worshipped. He wants the glory. He wants control. This is the essence of our pride, right? I want to be on top. I want you to do my bidding. 
I want it to be my way. And Jesus tells us in John 10.10, the mission of the devil, our spiritual enemy, is not to give us life, but to steal, kill, and destroy. In God the Father, though, he demands to be worshipped. He's created us to be worshipped, but he's a good father who has our best earthly and eternal interests in mind. He first loved us, Romans 5.8, so that we might love him. He pursues us with his love so that we might respond to that grace. The devil's the exact opposite, wanting to be worshipped and in doing so, that leading to our destruction and our death. Notice the devil here doesn't mention something. He doesn't say the, if you were the son of God, because that would, that would be such this uh, 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 stark contrast to, if you're the son of God, worship me. Well, the son of God refers to or implies directly that he's going to worship God himself. So he leaves that off. He's deceitful. Jesus will tell us in the course of his ministry later that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But here, if he'd bow down and worship the devil, he would not be loving the Father with everything. He'd exchange one for the other. But in Christ, he fulfilled the commandments perfectly, even in temptation, even in the wilderness. What the devil is tempting Jesus with is, yes, pride, but also a shortcut to glory a shortcut to being exalted, a shortcut that would skip the cross. I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world. I'll give you all the glory without the suffering. But the Son of God knows the sovereign plans of the Father. And Paul writes of that sovereign plan in Philippians 2, verses 6 through 11. Speaking of Jesus, he writes, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." See, it's through the cross and obedience to the Father that the Son will be exalted and lifted up. That at the name of Jesus, then, every knee will bow from every nation. Every nation that, that the devil gave this vision to. See, the devil wanted Jesus to take a detour around the cross. But the Son instead would reject that temptation and later humble himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And we identify with this temptation in this way. Have you ever been tempted to think that the Christian life should be void of suffering and pain? And the answer is yes. If you haven't doubted that or haven't wondered that. Have you ever been tempted to think that there's a shortcut to obedience? That somehow you can follow the Lord and avoid suffering? that it's always mountaintop experience. Or, I mean, I got baptized, and then I was suddenly in the wilderness and alone. What? And we begin to doubt God's love for us, our identity in Christ. Pastor Matt Chandler said this, the devil's working hard here to make sure Jesus doesn't suffer. It's pretty interesting here, he writes, that every attack from what's evil is not built around absolute wickedness, but more comfort. More comfort. Earthly comfort and ease are not promised to the Christ follower. 
rest for your soul, abundant life, living hope in the midst of persecution or really hard circumstances, strength for your heart when it fails, peace that surpasses all understanding. Now those are promised to the Christ follower. In the Word, we see those. And those, my friends, are far more meaningful, anchoring than some momentary comfort and ease. And we see the Father's Father's gracious love for His Son in verse 11, ministering to Him with angels. Temptation in and of itself is not sin. It's what we do in times of temptation that will either lead to the glory of God or the glory of ourselves. It's in those times and seasons where we will either try to find our satisfaction in lesser things or entirely in the Lord, where we'll be tempted to doubt God's promises or we'll believe the Word of God entirely, where we'll be tempted to try to avoid suffering and look for the path of ease or we'll seek to obey the Lord even in the difficulty the worship team wants to come back up. In the temptation of Jesus, he identifies with us who are sinners and then models for us what it looks like to flee from the devil, what it looks like to stand firm in the faith, knowing who we are in Christ, our identity in him, using the word of God to speak the truth over lies. And in the temptation of Jesus, he also displays his holiness. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. See, he understands your situation inside and out. Our Savior is not a far-off God. He is near. He was tempted for our sake to fulfill all righteousness so that on the cross he might die, and through faith and repentance and by grace we might receive his righteousness. That he would take on our blemish, and sins, and stains. And by his wounds, we would be healed so that we would die to sin and live for righteousness. What a wonderful Savior we have who would identify with us not only in our baptism, but in our temptation. And a Savior who does not forsake, but a Savior who is near in the midst of that. Let's stand up and worship. Thank you. 
Father, as we take our offering this morning, Lord, would you remind us you are God and you are good. All things come from you. All, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. I'm so thankful for that. And so as we give this morning, would you help us to do it in belief, not in fear, but in belief that you are God, you are good, you will meet our needs. Everything that we need, you will give to us according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. So help us give this morning as an act of worship as we continue to sing your praises because you are a God who is able to keep us until the day of redemption. For that, we give you praise. Amen.
Father, remind us this week that you are more than able. God, remind us of the cross and how through the cross the the chains of our sin have been broken. That through the Holy Spirit we have a greater power than our past and our sin. Remind us of our identity in Christ in the midst of temptation. If this message is, is for those of us who maybe are smack dab in the midst of temptation, Holy Spirit, speak and encourage, rebuke and correct and train us through your word. And if this message is a preemptive for us where temptation is out ahead on the horizon that we can't see yet, Father, I pray that you'd remind us of your word, remind us of your power and your presence in our lives when we are faced with temptation in the days and weeks to come. May we glorify you, may we uh, seek to live for you and honor you in all ways. We love you. We thank you that you first loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hope to see you on Good Friday and Easter. Details for those are in your program. And Discover Crosspoint will be back in the family room after Sun Chasers clears out. God bless. Meet somebody new.